You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 230 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Today, we're heading to Wiltshire to meet arable and beef farmer Ben Cooper. Ben farms 800 acres alongside his brother and father in the Pusey Vale of Wiltshire, growing wheat, barley, oats and canary seed, as well as producing hay and straw. As well as the cattle and the crops, Ben has helped the family diversify into pick-your-own-pumpkins and Christmas trees. And he also works off-farm, carrying out agricultural market research for clients across the ag industry, which we'll hear about today as well. Um, as well as, I didn't know this before we stopped, but you're also a teaching fellow at the University of Reading. I did not know that. Anyway, Ben, welcome to Meet the Farmers. How are you doing? Thanks. Good afternoon. Yeah, all good. Yeah, I like to keep busy. I like to keep busy, Ben. Yeah, that is for sure. Don't know how you have your time for all this. Um, uh, how wet has um, how wet's Wiltshire been? First of all, um, so far this winter. Yeah, I mean it's the first topic of conversation of any farmer, right? Talk about the weather. Oh, of course. And, uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty wet. Uh, we've not had it as bad as some places. Uh, we tried to do a TB test uh, two weeks ago, and the yard we were TB testing was flooded. So uh, that was Blimey. that was a bit of fun, but uh, no, not too bad. We you know we just had that couple of about a week or so of frost, which really helped. Uh, we managed to get some winter wheat drilled in that, but uh, we're now back to square one with I believe it's storm. Is it Aisha? Storm Aisha we've just had. Yeah, I can't I can't keep up with them all now. I don't know about you. I think I think it might no, have been that one. It's the record. I think it's the record number of storms ever um, this winter. It's just yeah. crazy, but it was, um, yeah, it was pretty noisy last night. The dog was barking away downstairs, went downstairs, and he was not very happy, barking away <laughs> at the window. And uh, trying to explain to a dog in, in uh, dog language that it's just a storm, it doesn't really, you have to take him outside, <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is a bit weird, what's this? But no, in answer to your question, weather's been a bit challenging, but I think every year at the moment, it's, uh, you know, you've got some extremes of new weather. Yeah, it is. And it's just um, your guess is as good as mine as whether we sort of hit May and then all of a sudden, yeah, it doesn't rain then for six months again, which who knows could happen. No one knows. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, your bit of Wiltshire. I don't think I really know know the Pusey Vale. Tell me more. Yeah, so um, it's, well, it's, you should. It's a beautiful place to come. Um, we've got sort of everything here. We've got canals, rivers, rolling rolling hills. Um, but where where my farm's situated, um, I'm actually between, uh, if you know, the Marlborough Downs and the Salisbury Plain. I'm kind of, on one side of us, you've got the Savanac Forest um, and the beautiful town of Marlborough. And then on the other side is just going up to the Salisbury Plain. So you've got sort of the army going bang, bang, bang every sort of the other day. Um, but it's a really nice area. Um, it's all an AONB, which means Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty, um, which is a great place to live, um, but sometimes quite difficult to farm in. Uh, just because of different restrictions and things, but we can talk about that later. Um, but yeah, it's it's, a, it's if you haven't been, it's definitely a, it should be on your list. So I gave your farm uh, a little introduction earlier, but yeah, just let's turn to that. Tell us a little bit more about it. Um, perhaps its history, um, but also what you're doing now, the rotation, soils, etc. Yeah, so it's quite a traditional mixed um, arable and beef farm. Uh, we've got quite a bit of permanent pasture um, that has been grass. I don't know, for the last 600, 700 years. Um, so it's all sort of triple SI, uh, chalk downland. Uh, when I say triple SI, I mean, it stands for, I believe, a site of specific scientific interest or something along those sort of lines. So it's it's very limited what we can do with that apart from graze it. This is very pretty. Um, some of it's got some streams going through it um, and all sorts of you know, wildflowers, et cetera. Um, and then on the on the other side, we've got the, the arable. Um, the arable kind of split across uh, three different soil types. We've got sandy, sandy land or sand land in the in the valley down the bottom. And then we've got some really heavy, quite productive uh, clay going up the banks. And when you get up, as I said, to the Salisbury Plain, our land up there is also the chalk based. Um, still good soil, um, but it's quite easy, quite easy compared to the to the heavy clay. And yeah, and the, the farm's been in the family for a long time. Um, I've grown up here as well. It's all I know, really. It's uh, it's my life. <laughs> yeah. So you're the you're the sixth generation, aren't you? 
yeah so six generations here um but i believe it's something crazy like eight or nine generations for farming in wiltshire wow. um so yeah my family actually uh, before they bought this farm farmed uh, up on the Sorsley plain but then the army uh, i don't know how much you know about your military history but the army decided to turn the Sorsley plain into their private playground uh, back in sort of the late 1700s i think um and they compulsory purchased the farm off my family so uh, we had to move so that was a but you know that we're talking hundreds of years ago wow but you've still been yeah it's still pretty much local you haven't really moved haven't really moved far well, it's worse than that. My um, my partner actually is from the place my family come from before we were here. So really? um, hopefully we're not. Hopefully we're not related. Otherwise, that would be a problem. <laughs> uh, what about? Um, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the some of the challenges of where you are, but I mean, especially you've got a mix of soil types there. So, I mean, what, what might the benefit of that be as well? Yeah, from a mixed farming perspective, you know, it's quite a nice a nice farm or a nice thing to have, really, because. The different soil types have different qualities. You know, the sand obviously is a lot more hungry, but also needs, you know, additions like lime, whereas the, the chalk at the top, you never need to lime that because it's chalk-based, right? But, yeah, we, you know, we can grow a variety of crops pretty well. Um, and the reason for the, the varied soil types is, as I was saying about, you know, the, the part of the country that I'm in, we've got those those valleys and then the big banks and up onto the plain. So you do get that that sort of variation. But, it, but it's also quite uh, typical of farms around where I live um what i mean by that is years ago when they were divided up um, or when the big estates the big landed estates got sold off farms tended to have a like, you know, bit of land in the valley bit of land on the banks and then some land up on top to give them that sort of mix because don't forget a um, long time ago a lot of farms or most farms were mixed farms rather than purely arable um so they, they you know needed that that sort of mix um and actually around here still many farms are mixed you know we're not quite down in the deep dark west country where uh, you ask people what they do and they say cows or sheep you know here we do have cows sheep and, and some crops but also we're not like the east where you ask them what they do and they say we got a wheat oh yeah that's interesting nice so it's, <laughs> yeah there's still are quite a lot of mixed farming going on yeah please life interesting um what about you um were you one of those kids who grew up sort of i always want to farm or or did you sort of look across the hedge and think mm, might go somewhere else or yeah, it's a really good point. With perspective, I think I'd see it differently to how I saw it when I was little. So that's probably not a very helpful comment, but I'll explain it. Um, when I when I was small, you know, uh, as long as I can remember, I was always on the farm. Um, my, you know, my father, uh, I wouldn't call it child labour, but you know, any farmers listening to this will know what I mean. You just you just <laughs> do it, don't you? You just what's you know every you know you get to the end of uh, school and people go, oh, I'm going on a summer holiday to France or even to Cornwall or you know Australia or whatever, and you, and then you go. Yeah, I'm going to go and sit in a tractor for the next two months and <laughs> see you again after that. And you just don't, you know, you don't see your friends for the for the summer period. But that's just life, um, and that's farming. But to answer your question, when I was young, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just thought, I thought everyone grew up on farms. You know, I was. You live a sheltered life when you live in a, in a farming village. You, you know, you, you walk out your door, you walk where you want. Um, you know, you just go on the farm. Um, so as a child, all I really knew was, yeah, you get up, you go and feed cows every morning, you work hard and and that's it. Um, but as I got older, I think, you know, I did have dreams of doing all sorts of things. I think everyone does. But farming is who I am. Um, even even when I was you know, a young teenager, uh, you know, you go away from the farm, you still think about it. And uh, I do have quite a lot of other, other interests as well as the farm that keeps me keeps me occupied. Um, and that's always been the case. I, you know, I like to leave the village if I can once in a while. Probably not as, as much as I as much as I should. But it's important. Uh, it is it is it is the world is much bigger than i live in a place called eastern royal and the world is much bigger than eastern royal and uh <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know i've just always yeah always always been a farmer i suppose i would say it's a generational thing as well a lot of people of my generation do do more than just you know they've just been on the farm their whole life my father is a really good farmer or i think he's a really good farmer but his whole life's been farming and that's you know yeah. that's how it is um i think that's changing a little bit now maybe yeah and with that in mind, I mean, tell us a little bit more about your other business, um, which you've been sort of, you've been involved in this area for quite a while. But yeah, so this is it's market research sort of based in the ag industry. Um, but tell us a little bit more about this, um, yeah, in terms of what you do, who you work with. Yeah, so um it sounds complicated, but it's no different to any any sort of industry or market in the whole world. Every industry, every market, um, you know, there's market research conducted 
So, for example, what does Ben Eagle think about the latest podcast? Uh, that could be a, that could be a market research project. Wouldn't in itself. anyone like to know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, basically, I, I when I finished uni, I uh, started working for a, um, a regional and then a global market research agency, all focusing in in agriculture. I was doing that alongside the farm as well. So that was kind of the the crux. I you know I wouldn't sign the dotted line to work for them unless they told me or or gave me permission to still work like a slave over harvest on the farm and. <laughs> And do all the do all the farming as well, and actually they were really good to me, and they understood that because they you know they wanted people who were actively farming because if you're actively farming and you're doing research on farming, you know the two help. Um, so I mainly work for sort of big multinational uh, companies like Bayer, Bassef, Syngenta, um, Corteva, people like that. And it's not just agchem; it can be seed or fertilizer. Um, but I also have done work for for more sort of regional or local companies. Um, some sort of agronomy distributors, um, you know, rural shows, things like that. And the sort of market research that I do is mainly qualitative. Now, that, that's always a big word. When I was little, I had no idea what people were saying when they said qualitative and quantitative. Yeah. Tell us more. Stop. What, what do you mean by that? Exactly. exactly. Well, basically, it's people. Rather than numbers, there's two types of research. There's numbers research, which is 50%. You know, when you see polls, for example, Rishi Sunak is liked by 5% of people or whatever. You know, that's 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 quantitative. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whereas what I do is, is more qualitative, which is people. So it's all about why, how, who, what. So emotions, feelings, you know, what people think about this, why they do that. It's more deep dive stuff. And yeah, I've, I've done that since, alongside the farm for the last few years. Um, I left that, uh, the global company I just mentioned, um, because... Well, two reasons really. One, trying to do that job plus uh, farm my farm with my father uh, was just driving me mad. I just couldn't yeah, work. I can imagine. Yeah, I just couldn't work seven. I didn't mind working seven days a week through the summer and spring, but I just didn't want to work seven days a week all year round. <laughs> no. So yeah, so I just um, that was the main driving force. That's called um, that's called being a dairy farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. This is true. And uh, there's a reason I don't have dairy cows on the farm. But uh, yeah, I, I just um, decided to try and go my own way and make my own uh, market research company, um, which is yeah, hopefully going quite well. Touchwood, and uh, it gives me more flexibility alongside the farm, so I can control my time a bit better. Um, and also, it, as you asked me that question, do I always want to be a farmer? Well, God knows when I was young, but. It is, you know, it's my life. I can imagine not being involved with the farm now. And yeah, hopefully I'm trying to or trying to set my life up or have got my life set up that allows me to, to both be on the farm and, and also pursue my, my wider interests. Because uh, even with a even with a mixed farm, um, you know, in, in winter, there is less to do. It's just the truth. Like, so unless you're a dairy farmer, there is a lot less to do in winter. And you've got a few choices when you're, when you're a farmer in winter. You can either choose to make no money and just sit there and get depressed. I know that's really, really boring and it's probably a bit of a generalisation. Or you can actually do something with your winter. And a lot of farmers quite rightly go skiing or they go shooting. Um, or some people just go to work and carry on working. And there's always things to do on a farm in winter. Don't get me wrong. You know, think of that storm I should have. We had four trees come down last night. So you can spend your time chopping trees. You can spend your time servicing tractors. But let's be honest, that's not my skill set. My brother is far better at doing things like that. So let him crack on with servicing tractors and um doing whatever he wants to do and uh yeah i just use the winter time a bit more productively for my own work um but don't get me wrong i still do like skiing and shooting i just haven't had much time to do it <laughs> so yeah just on this sort of market research stuff I mean, what kind of questions are you asking now, obviously it's quite broad and you've been going for quite a while so i'm guessing it's you've done quite a lot of different projects but yeah what what are you interested in with with farmers and, and um and what kind of responses do you get yeah, it's a good question. So it all depends on what the client has commissioned me to do. So quite often the stuff I do is sort of new product development. Um, I'm actually doing a project two minutes before I was speaking to you today. I was working on a on a new product development, um, like product testing, basically, where it's a it's a new um, herbicide. I won't say too much more than that. The new herbicide coming out to the Probably best to the market. Yeah, coming to the market in the UK. Um, and we've been doing a bit of product testing with, with the sort of farmer or target market for that product. So it really depends on what the, the client commissions me to do. Um, but a lot of the work I do is sort of uh, like what we're doing right now. Conversations with farmers, focus yeah. groups, in-depth interviews, 
um, sometimes can be physically on farm, you know, looking at products or looking at machinery or whatever. Um, and sometimes can be like we're doing right now over Teams, over Zoom, um, you name it, I do it. Yeah, and I'm guessing, well, I mean, I know this for a fact because actually when we uh, when we spoke on the phone the other day, you'd just been, you'd been up to Scotland for about two hours and then you'd come back down again. So you're on the road yeah. quite a bit as well. Yeah, so basically, I, you, you know what it's like. If you're on the farm, you, just not, you can't get away for too long. Um, so yeah, went to Scotland for a day, right away up, um, did the focus group, drove back. And then yeah, when, when you and I spoke, I was back on the farm making the most of the uh, the frosty weather to crack on with field work because that's been the only opportunity we've had to actually get out in the fields and do something, right? You know, this morning I was driving up the hill to go and we, we outwinter some cattle on our hill. And I was telling you about that chalkland. There's one massive benefit of the chalkland, being able to outwinter cattle up there. Um, so I was trying to get up there this morning with the truck. And it just, yeah, just could not get up the hill. It was just spinning, just for that weather we had last night. Um, but, you know, a few days ago on that, on the frost, you could just get around any way you want, do what you want. Um, and then there's that other bit with your time that you do as well, apart from, yeah, and I'm sure there's there's other stuff as well, but I mean, you're, you're a teaching fellow at Reading Uni. Um, what's yeah. this all about? Yeah, good question. I've got no idea. Um, just happens, really. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I do a bit of I do a bit of uh, sort of teaching and research at the University of Reading. Um, they're a great great agricultural department actually. The, the Reading Uni. What I like about Reading Uni is it's a it's an ag uni, but it's not really because they've got so many. You know, ag is such a small part of what Reading yeah. does. So what what I liked about Reading is you, you know I actually went to Reading. It's a bit biased, but oh, you okay. go, yeah, yeah. And I chose Reading for two reasons. Uh, one, Ben, which is pretty obvious, is it's pretty close to where I live, so yes. I could get back. Yeah, so I could get back to the farm um, evenings, weekends to do farming. Um, and the second reason I chose Reading was I didn't want to go to uh, an ag college where everyone sounded, spoke like me, had the same interests. I wanted to actually spend time and meet friends and people who weren't farmers, because yeah, as I said earlier, the world is so much bigger than just Eastern Royal. It's also bigger than the agricultural industry, and. Um, Go back to my point. Reading is a good uni. Uh, the agriculture department are good, and yeah, I do do a bit of sort of lecturing for them. But the stuff I tend to do with Reading um, mainly focuses around one module um, and what we do with that module. When I say module, that's like a teaching module. Um, the students come down to the farm. I give them the problem, and then they have to act as basically ag consultants and solve the problem for me. And okay. I basically so I'll give you an example. Uh, the 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 the, pro the problem or the project I gave them last year uh, was setting up or expanding my pick your own pumpkin enterprise on the farm. Uh, the year before that was uh, changing the tillage system. The year before that was I was putting up a new grain store, so it was, it was around the grain store. Uh, and the year before that was actually converting, basically got like a, a redundant farmyard. Um, what to do with it? Still haven't done anything with it yet, yeah, but sure. uh, yeah, that was uh, that. So it's, it's it's those sorts of things, and then. Uh, it's more sort of an ag business management uh, module that I that I get engaged with. I do do a bit of sort of ad hoc stuff with some of them, um, just from a sort of practical farming perspective. Um, but yeah, keeps me again keeps me busy. This episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for Aplan Rural. The Howden team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we have both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. Howden Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog which shares farmers' experiences. And they also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Howden Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, wider industry stuff. Challenges, there are plenty ahead. Um, what for you sticks out as being perhaps one of the biggest challenges that we face and perhaps if you can frame it into what the opportunity is as a result um, or what the solution might be, what might that be as well? Yeah, uh, there's a couple, but just from the real practical farming basis, the weather, uh, climate change, people, you know, you see climate change in the news every day, but farmers actually at the forefront of, of, the, of not the problem, but facing the uh, the changes that, that are causing. So you know, we I don't know about you, Ben, but even just in my, you know, I'm not that old. I might I might look at it with these wrinkles, but I'm not that old. And, not uh, at all, Ben. And basically, my point is that even in even in my lifetime, I think a lot has changed in terms of the weather. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure when I was little, seasons were were more set. You know, you had a winter, you had a spring and autumn. Now we get 
you know, we get cold weather, we get warm weather, we get rain in summer, we get rain in winter. You know, it, it just seems that the extremes are more extreme um, and the seasons aren't so aren't so set. So I think farming um, doesn't matter if you're arable, beef, sheep, uh, you know, alternative crops, veg, whatever. It's just it's harder. It's not as easy potentially as it might have been when the weather was a bit more set, especially with the sort of wet winters we're we're dealing with. Um, so that's a that's a huge challenge. But there, you know, there's also positives to that. I mean, with the with the weather changing, it, it does mean that some industries um, will actually have more opportunity. You know, look at English uh, English wine, right? That wouldn't be a thing forty years ago. Absolutely. Um, it, there, so there are there are different different things you can you can look at. But from a from a selfish sort of arable and beef perspective, yeah, the weather's pretty challenging. Look at the last couple of years. We've had, like you said, stupid heat. Then we've had stupid rain. Then we've had no rain. And uh, it just goes from one extreme to the other. So, you know, you, you're dealing with the elements, you're dealing with nature, you're dealing with the weather, um, with farming, but that brings its own difficulties, right? Yeah, exactly. And and so on, on your farm going forwards, how do you think, are you able to adapt your practice, adapt your rotation, et cetera, um, for that, with that in mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy a boat and just, <laughs> just go around in a boat. It'll be a lot easier. <laughs> Fish farming. Here that's yeah. the future. Yeah, well, fish, fish and fish rice. Fish farming in, in Wiltshire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and rice. Rice. Flooded fields with rice. Yeah, indeed. No, you're, uh, just to be on a serious note, yeah, I think everyone's thinking how they can adapt their, their rotations and what they're doing with the farm and, and how the weather are facing it or affecting it. I mean, I'm not massively changing anything or we're not massively changing anything we're doing in terms of the crops we're growing now and, and, and that, but it it just affects you know how how and when you can get on with field cultivations um what what it does affect a bit what you're planting because you know for example um, i think i mentioned uh, i might have but we just put some winter wheat in in that in that frost last week um well if that frost hadn't happened we wouldn't have got that in and we'd have had to put a spring crop in but the problem is i don't know how aware you are ben but there aren't any there just isn't any spring seed around it's a huge problem for arable farmers this year there just isn't any around and what is around the germination is rubbish on. Um, so that's not ideal. So, you know, what would we have done? Okay, we've had to, you know, think about what crop we're going to put in there. We wouldn't put maize in because we're not a big dairy farm. So we don't need we don't need that maize. Um, so, it'd be, yeah, it's just all these little knock-on things and, and the weather affects all those things. There's, you know, there's other challenges, right? You know, there's the price inflation problems. So if you, I don't know if you went to any of the machinery shows recently, we just had obviously Lamo. I didn't, didn't go because I was yeah. working, but... Um, there's a combine there which costs over a million pounds, right? Where are you going to find that sort of money from? I mean, exactly. I mean, there's people. It's huge money. It's big lottery figures. Um, things are getting more and more expensive. Inputs. Okay, they've dragged back a little bit this year compared to what they were last year. But thank God, because you know we're looking at wheat at 160 sort of pound a ton rather than 300 pound a ton, mm-hmm. and that sort of variation isn't good for anyone. Um, you know, it it is scary um, with sort of price inflations and the fact that you you don't know what or how much you're going to get for your wheat unless you're locking it in in a forward contract. But if you're doing that, what happens if the price suddenly goes up? Because whilst 180 pounds a ton right now might look pretty good, but in reality, you know, when you look at your profit margin, it's not great, is it? Um, it needs to be back up to where the, the levels were last year, especially with the sort of prices you're paying for your inputs um, and even labour. You know, people people need to be paid a reasonable wage, but um, agriculture needs to be able to sustain those wages. Well, how can you sustain those wages when crop prices are... 100 and you know 180 pound ton or 100, even 160 or whatever um same thing with livestock and dairy right you, you, you need to have a, a sensible price so that's a huge a huge uh, sort of challenge that's facing the global ag industry rather than just the uk but then you can flip that on the positive i think uh, a lot of businesses have actually become more resilient or they've had to become more resilient because you know things like bps are uh, basic payments uh, scheme stopping and uh, you know farmers farmers want to farm effectively um but it's just finding that balance between farming efficiently, effectively, you know, helping and looking after the environment and also just having a sustainable business. Uh, and it's not easy. So uh, loads of challenges, but also loads of opportunity in agriculture, right? I think um, it's a beautiful industry to be in. Uh, the countryside is a marvellous place because farmers keep it so. Uh, so it's it's just, uh, you know, it's trying to trying to create a sustainable business um in a in an economic pressure uh situation and also dealing with as i said the fun of the weather yeah fantastic i love that positivity coming through regardless and i think probably 
one of that one of those things to think about isn't it as well for any non-farmers listening is that farming is it's a long-term game and you have to you can't look at it really on a year by year basis no. otherwise to be honest a lot of years you would well, just give up if you were doing it like that but if you look at it over averages of five to ten years then you do have those balances out this is really really important it's a really easy way to think about farming in terms of economics the last two years so, so the year before was our best ever year for profit prices yeah. were crazy right the year that's just finished as in the harvest year 2023 that's just finished is our worst ever year for profit so we've yeah. gone through two years one being sky high and the other being rock bottom okay the, thank god that's happened because the rock bottom one has now made the, the other one or was held up that that you did the worst year but you don't want too many rock bottom years before uh before you think oh god this is really not good uh, especially with uh, subsidies and everything else ending. But you're right, it is a long-term game. Um, my family have been here for six generations, and it'd be a real shame if uh, if it was my generation that stopped it. I have no intention. You know, even if I decided to stop farming, I wouldn't want to sell the farm. You know, we're very lucky we own our we own our farm. Obviously, a lot of people don't. Um, and that's, you know, that's not because of me. That's because of years and years and years ago. Um, but we are very lucky. But my point is, uh, farming is a long game, and... The people or family farms in particular like us who've been here a long time i don't want that story to end with me um and it's it's just how do you keep going and create a, a sustainable family business i wouldn't say we're a, we're a huge farm not in terms of arable um but you know hopefully we have a sustainable business um and hopefully uh you know i'll bring my kids up on the farm and then they can moan at me for making them work all the time and it'll uh you know the, the cycle goes on and on and on but it's uh as I said, it's, it's a nice place to be. It's just it's just always thinking how can you how can you make this sustainable? Yeah. And on that, I mean you have already mentioned yeah, there's a lot of change going on at the moment, a lot of policy change. And of course, um, yeah, by end of twenty twenty seven we will have lost well, we were changed really, um, away from basic payment scheme, which is where a significant chunk of a lot of farms' income comes from. How is your business faring in terms of mitigating against that and, and planning for a post BPS world? Yeah, well, look, um, it's probably not a very popular opinion, but if if you're not making profit before BPS, then you probably don't want to be farming. Um, and a lot of people struggle to make profit before BPS, not because of their own hard work, but because of the scenario they're in. You know, imagine if you're just on a hill farm. Um, doesn't matter if you're in Wales, Scotland, England, wherever, and you're limited in options to sell stuff directly to the public. You're limited in options in terms of what you can put in cropping. So you're you're not stuck, but you are. You, you know, you're doing your sheep or your beef or whatever really well as efficiently as you can you are a really good farmer but you're limited in what you can do um and you're limited in the money you can make that's a hard situation to be in and those sort of people they need subsidy they need schemes to be able to keep their their almost their farming community going um so so you know my generalization that you should be making a profit before bps doesn't apply to everyone but my, my simple point is that as a sustainable family farming business you need to be making a profit before bps and you know luckily um, we are, but the the EPS going will will make a significant well already has made a significant dent in our in our profit margin, um, and you know that that BPS money allows the farm to reinvest in machinery and to you know and actually be sustainable and, and it helps sort out those those peaks and troughs that we were just talking about. Um, but we have started to do things to mitigate it. Um, not only do we have sort of as a uh, agri environmental schemes that we're part of, so you know there are new subsidies coming in. Well, I, I shouldn't call them subsidies um, because it's the wrong word. The, the schemes to you know um, incentivize farmers to farm in a certain way, but because we're not an intensive farm, we're doing a lot of that already anyway. So we were doing it before the you know the government had come out with these incentive schemes. You know, for example, we've been cover cropping um, way before actually we're going to get paid for it. And, you know, we still, we, even though we've applied for SFI, which is sustainable farming incentive, we still haven't had it come through yet. So we're putting cover crops in anyway. Um, so a lot of these things we're doing, um, but I think, uh, I think it will, it, you know, it naturally will affect us like it affects everyone. Uh, we're also, as I said, we've started up the pick your own pumpkins as a bit of a alternative income. Um, and that's making a, not a huge profit, but a nice little profit to, to add back into the pile. Uh, so it's all about, um, for me, for a family farm of our size, uh, it's very hard to get more land. So it's not about getting more land to increase your, your turnover, increase your profit, because that doesn't always work. It's very hard to get land around here. For me, it's about having more eggs in different baskets. So the beef gives you, brings in money. Uh, property rentals bring in a bit of money. 
you know, the arable brings in a bit of money. Um, you know, small shoot brings in a little bit of money. Uh, the pumpkins bring in a little bit of money, and so on and so on. Because I think that helps the peaks and troughs um, and helps make a sustainable business. But uh, as I'm, I'm, you know, I can't sit here and, and plead plead poverty. My dad's done a great job of building a sustainable farming business. But it does it does worry me, even of a even of you know a farm of our size, which is not tiny but not huge. Um, how do I make that sustainable for the entirety of my life and, and for my family's life? So, yeah, it's a scary, scary thing post-subsidy. But again, I think we've got to be positive about it. It's, it's, you've just got to think, how how can we make a sustainable business? Um, and you almost have to, I know it's a horrible thing, but you've got to forget what the government are doing a bit because, in my opinion, the way the government are handling the agricultural uh, transition or the agricultural community or agricultural policy is somewhere between, um, and I won't swear, but rubbish and very rubbish. <laughs> you can choose which swear word to insert there yourself. Yeah, I think generally that's very well put. Um, another another aspect, and I suppose this is turning to another part of the market, and and the arable sector is definitely implicated in this. Um, and I'm particularly interested in in this with perhaps the farmers, the farmers who you speak to with your market research hat on, and I don't know how often this comes up, but of course it is RT red tractor this has been a lot in the farming news it seems to be non-stop in the farming news i don't know over the last year calls it calls for change of leadership for example um etc etc uh red tractor from from your point of view in terms of the the positives and the negatives because there are both yeah. um but, yeah. but on your, your sort of balanced view on it yeah but i think that's the key word that then balance right um I think we're quite lucky in this country to have red tractor. Um, a lot of like countries don't have it. You know, they'll the equivalent. If you go to a lot of different countries, the insurance schemes are almost a cooperatives uh, setting the rules for the farmers because a lot of farmers in different countries send the cooperatives. Um, uh, whereas red tractor is sort of an industry standard. More and more, of the public hopefully are getting aware of it. And I think red tractor are genuinely trying to get the the public more aware of the, the red tractor stamp. Um, and I just think we're we're quite lucky. So as a principle, as an idea, as a as a thing, red tract is great. But with with everything uh, on a on a national level, it's hard to manage it, right? So I think there are there are problems with it. I mean, I don't want to go into great detail because I'm not the the world's expert. But I think um, yeah, as you quite rightly said, there's been a lot of stuff in the press, which is probably um, quite true. And and there are issues with red tractor, and it is frustrating. Um, doesn't matter what you know if you're farming beef, or you're farming sheep, or you're farming live, uh, sorry, or farming crops. It's, it's it is it is challenging. Um, but, but again, I, I think you know we're we're reasonably lucky to to have red tractor. I just wish we as an agricultural industry could do more to promote almost how how much we do in this country and why red tractor is important and what it actually means to the consumer. I think that's the that's the crux for me. I know mean, that's slightly different to what you're asking me. You're asking me about what do I think about red traction how it works well yeah that's a minefield of, of answers there but i think yeah for me it's a good thing um yes it's got nuts and bolts that probably are, are falling off and need need picking up and uh, screwing back on but uh yeah it, for me the real thing is anything that gets the consumer to understand what we as british farmers are doing and why it's important is, is a good thing because i know it's slightly off topic ben but something i'm really passionate about and that's partly why I got involved with Just Farmers. I mean, we talk about what Just Farmers yeah. is in a minute. Um, but I think uh, farming has a great story to tell. And um, unless you grow up on a farm or you've got friends who are farmers, what reason do you have to be connected to your food? Most people don't grow their own vegetables anymore. Most people's connection with food is go to a restaurant or go to the supermarket and buy it. Um, and that's massively changed in my in my lifetime. You know, even the amount of bakeries or local butchers or shops and things like that that would give you a bit more of a connection to your food have gone. And people, you know, I'm I'm as guilty as anyone. I went to Tesco's last night. There are other supermarkets available, Waitrose or whatever you want. But uh, I went to Tesco's last night to go and get all the bits and bobs, um, like you always do. You know, you go in there and it's just easy. You look and you think, oh, that's cheap. I might buy that. And you pick it up and you think, oh god, actually. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna get the slightly more expensive chicken because of X, Y, or Z. Again, I'm not gonna go. I could go on for hours about that. But you know, my point is, uh, people are quite disconnected with farming and food, and anything we can do uh, to to help that is good. And thus, in my opinion, red tractor is a good thing. Yeah, and red tractor aside, just uh, from your business, just I'd just be interested if you could give listeners an idea of. The number of it, or the the kinds of inspections that you have on farm as well, 
um, in yep. terms of number, what 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 these people, what these assessors are doing when they're, when they're on the farm. As an arable farmer, um, and I know you're a mixed mixed enterprise, but specifically on the arable here, I suppose, what are the, what are they actually checking for? Yeah, so red tractor covers obviously both livestock and um, and crops, but from the arable side, uh, it's a variety of things. It's it's obviously your your spray records, you know, um, making sure everything is up to date. Uh, making sure what you say you've done on paper, you actually have done in reality. Um, checking your sort of grain storage. Um, they, they come around and physically inspect and look at uh, different parts of the farm. Um, but it's, yeah, so I mean, there is a physical on-farm inspection as well as obviously just the more record-keeping side of it. Um, but it, in my opinion, I think uh, having physical on-farm inspections where they come out uh, and you know, they go through not only records, but the, the want to wander around the farm engage with you look at your grain storage look at your machinery uh, you know, on, the, on the livestock side again look at um, you know where your livestock are how that's all being done um it's important and, and you know as long as the, the key for me really um is that actually when they're doing those inspections that they're being consistent with their standards so that you know where you are as a farmer you know what is expected of you and all farmers i don't know i don't know any of my friends who farm that i would say aren't good farmers you know, no one's out there going, oh, I can't be asked for that. I'm not going to do this. Well, there, I mean, there might be, right? There, there's got to be somewhere someone who, who's like that. But what I'm getting at is, you know, everyone I know who farms, I would put my hand up on, or, or put my hand on my heart and go, they're good farmers. They're trying to do the right thing. But but trying to do the right thing is different to meeting a standard. So all farmers need to know what that standard is. So that's that's the one thing that I would say about Retractor, actually, just before we finish that, is that, yeah, it's just helpful to know what's expected because most people are excelling that i don't, I don't know many people that will will be below uh, most of the the red tractor standards um and if they are they, they probably should be well red tractor will be doing something about it um but it's just that consistency uh and and it's hard right because these inspections are done by real people and um, real people have different opinions and different standards etc so um there is that part of red tractor which is hard but i think that just gets i don't know Maybe easier as as the red track staff have been there longer. Maybe easier as the farm understands it more, etc. Um, but I wouldn't personally say we've ever had a, a problem. To be honest, you've already mentioned Just Farmers, and I want to turn to that. Uh, you were on Just Farmers last year. This is Anna Jones Communications Project. Um, we've got uh, a couple more workshops I think lined up for this year. Another two groups of farmers coming through. Um, but yeah, tell us uh, tell us about your experience at Just Farmers in terms of what it is, what it's given you, and I suppose why why you want to. You've already mentioned talking about telling the farming story, your farming story. Why is that important for you? Yeah, so put really simply, Just Farmers um, is a great uh, charity organisation that is basically about giving farmers the skills to tell their story and engage with the media and the public um, about what they're doing on their farms, not just through social media, but through you know mainstream media, even things like what we're doing right now, Ben, podcasts, right? Um, and it's a great thing for for every every farmer, really, to, to want to get engaged with. The reason I got engaged with it is because I think uh, giving farmers media training is, is a great thing. Um, and I, I learned so much doing it. And I just think it's a, it's a really good, it's just a really good organization. It's giving farmers the skills to tell their story and actually, um, it's not just about, you know, saying, oh, how great we are and how great farming is. It's actually it goes back to more core roots than that for me. And that is what I what I mentioned earlier. If, if people's only engagement with farming is going to the supermarket, that's a pretty sad state for society to be in. So the more we can do to engage people um, and, you know, engage with farmers and farming, the better. You, you're always going to have people who say, you know, farming is the worst thing for the environment. Farming is the worst thing for this reason, that reason. That's fine. That's their opinion. You, you know, you, you won't change those people. But I think 95% of the public, if you give them the chance to engage with farming, food, um, just soil, earth, anything, you know, outside nature, blah, 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 goes on. They want to do it and they love it. That's super. And and I think you, you've hit the um, you've hit the nail on the head of partly what this is all about. And it's it's the fact we're all on the same side. We all eat food. Um, and, uh, yeah, people, people are engaged. Yeah, there are, we are a busier and busier country. There are more and more people in the country. Um, there are more, more people getting out into the countryside, which is, which is great, but rather than make an enemy of them, um, invite them in and, and, and yeah, tell them what you're doing and, and, and engage with them. And, uh, yeah, that can only be a positive thing. Yeah. And that's the beauty of just farmers, right? Cause, cause a lot of farmers are, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. 
not every farmer is great at speaking to the public. Why would they be? Because they spend their life in a rural community on their farm where they don't have to engage with the public. Exactly. So, um, you know, that's, that's, again, a really good thing about just farmers. Um, I, I'd like to think I'm reasonably good at speaking with people. Um, I reckon but, so. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of farm a lot of farmers aren't um and that's fine because you know it's it's hard and i think that's a lot of farmers get bad press for maybe being i don't know i don't want to say grumpy or, or not able to speak to the public but uh i actually think most farmers uh are really nice people really friendly interesting they've all got a great story to tell so uh the more we can do to to engage people with all types of farmers is, is great. Um, but don't get me wrong, on the, on the flip side, I, I don't expect every farmer to, to open up a pick-your-own-pumpkin or to do whatever. Um, they don't have to do that. They can do whatever they want. But I think just every little step that any farmer can do to engage you know, one person a day who might not know something about farming but might be interested, then great. Um, doesn't matter what you do. Just it all helps, doesn't it? Meet the Farmers is brought to you by Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Um, long-standing listeners will probably already know about Just Farmers, um, but uh, if, if you are new to the podcast, uh, you can check out their website, which is justfarmers.org, um, or just check them out on socials and, and give them a follow and please support um, what Anna, Emily and the rest of the team are doing because it's um, it's a really good thing. And uh, I mean, I personally love being part of it as well. I'm really looking forward to next year's workshops. And I should also say, just for, for Ben, when I do the podcasting workshops for, for Just Farmers, and uh, Ben Ben and his group came up with, I think, this, a brilliant podcast which has not yet been made, which I'm going to pressurise him to actually make at some point now, called Farming Cock-Ups. Listeners, if you want this podcast to be made, please get in touch. <laughs> yeah. Try make it happen. There's a guy called uh, Gwyndaf who was who was on in our group at Just Farmers. Yeah, he's uh, been on the he's been on Meet the Farmers actually. He, he was on last Has year. He? Yeah. Oh, he's a great he's a great guy. Um, he, he likes a beer too, which helps. And uh, you know, he's a lovely he's a lovely lovely chap. And um, him and I were just chatting away whilst we were doing this this workshop with Ben. Um, just about the fact that uh, in your daily life, again, it doesn't matter if you're a farmer or if you're in marketing or if you're in you know if you're a chef in any any occupation. Everyone has cock-ups. Every, everyone has things that go wrong, you know, and it, just in life, just in general. Um, but in farming, you know, sometimes you can have small cock-ups and sometimes you can have big cock-ups. And we just, yeah, we had, we, Ben gave us the challenge of, um, in, in the workshop of, of creating a podcast. And, um, you know, Anna, Gwyneth and I came up with the idea of a podcast called Farming Cock-ups. And it quite literally was us just talking rubbish. Uh, again, I didn't swear, did I? That was clever, Ben. I almost did. Talking rubbish um, about uh, about just you know farming cockups and things that have gone wrong, so yeah, it's good fun and it would be it would genuinely be a good a good podcast and I think actually it just makes a bit of fun out of the fact that things go wrong and you know farming can be uh, a very one very lonely but also two a quite stressful job and um, if you can just make some lighthearted fun of it, it, it makes it easier, doesn't it? Sorry, Ben, we've lost you. You've gone. We're back. Are again. you back? Is it? Yeah. We were, well, I was just saying, yeah, we were talking about farming cock-ups. You could not have had that in a better time. Podcasting cock-ups definitely happen. And I just That's had amazing. literally as soon as you were talking about that, just a thing came up on Zoom saying, your microphone is not working. <laughs> Great. It's, it's literally, it's because you mentioned farming cock-ups. Everything goes wrong, Ben. I thought I was going to have to do the whole thing by myself. I was like, well, <laughs> the limit, I was going to start talking about my dog and then what I was going to have for dinner. And I don't know what I was going to do. But, uh, we are back. We're back. Um, just uh, quickly, we're going to start to round it up. But uh, before, just the future of your farm, sort of. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, your your, your dad is clearly made, you know, built on you know, generations, and you've got a good good foundation for a business. Yes, there are lots of changes happening, 
but I'm, I'm guessing the the nuts and bolts of the business you're not you're not going to be changing much you've got your uh christmas trees you've got your picker and pumpkins now um so you're doing some sort of direct engagement um and you're a very busy guy clearly and and i'm hoping you also yeah you also have other things going on as well um, yeah but apart from all that future of the farm um are you going to be making doing anything else or is it going to be business as usual do you reckon yeah, the key is don't cock it up, right, Ben? <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. But, uh, You're no, fine yeah, now. Obviously, just keep it going. Yeah, obviously, keep the uh, keep the nest egg going, which is the you know the, the arable and the beef. Um, I'd love to massively increase our our beef numbers. Um, you know, we're quite extensive, so I wouldn't say we're an intensive beef farm. You know, we're, we're using a lot of permanent pasture grazing. Our, our cows live the life, Ben. Honestly, if I could come back as one of our cows, I think you'd be winning. <laughs> it's just a, just a nice place to be our farm, really, when it comes. <laughs> Comes with the cattle. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to grow the cattle. Uh, it's not something my dad's very keen on. Um, you know, we've got a sustainable number at the moment and you, we would need more grazing, et cetera, to be able to do it. But yeah, grow the cattle. Um, you know, keep trying to grow our, our sort of the amount of properties you rent out. It's, it's, it's nice, stable income. Yeah, it's hard to do because you need to make money to be able to buy houses. Um, but that's the, the aim of the game. But yeah, for me, I, would, I can't lie to you and say I have a 35 year farm plan. I probably should. Um, but I think it's very hard to do that. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. I have started doing things, as I said, like the picker and pumpkins, growing Christmas trees, engaging more with the public directly. Um, but also I've got my, as I said, my own business alongside the farm. Um, if that keeps growing sustainably, then, you know, I can look to employ people for that, which would give me more time to, to be on the farm as my father starts to do less. Uh, but, my, you know, my, my dad's not that old and he's very capable as well. And I, I can't see... You know, unless unless somehow we can we can kick him out, I can't see him going anywhere. <laughs> so uh, and I wouldn't want him to. You know, it's his life. Yeah, maybe ask me that question again in five years' time, and I might have a, a clearer idea. But um, yeah, keep the status quo, but just keep trying to grow on it, and you know, do do the right thing in terms of uh, you know, if something's working, do more of it. If it's not working, don't do more of it. But I just yeah, I'd be lying, Ben, if I said I can't ever have like a pure concrete plan for it. I might well hold you to that. We'll, we'll have you on in another five years, assuming Meet the Farmers is still going then. Um, yeah, I'll have him cocked it up. That's the other thing. <laughs> Just a little more about our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for A-Plan Rural. Same people, different name. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. Uh, we're going to move to the quick questions. These are a bit of fun. First is, if you could travel anywhere in the world, anywhere at all, where would it be and why? Oh, such a hard question. Travel anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose right now, uh, skiing. I, I haven't gone skiing in, since before COVID. Partly for two reasons. One, because of COVID. And two, or three reasons. One, COVID. Two, I've been really busy. And three, my partner, Katie, uh, great person, can't ski. That is, um, you know, that is just, what is she doing? I, I'm honestly, it's the source of all our arguments. But we won't go into that. So, yeah, if I could literally travel anywhere, I don't care, Ben. Take me to ski resort. I mean, I, I was looking at social media and Folly Bloody Douche. If you don't, if you know what Folly Douche is, it's like a massive party place in, in France for skiing. That, you know, came up on my live stream, uh, my um, Instagram stream. And I was just like, oh, my God, just get me there. Well, uh, so if, you, if you're looking for someone to join you honestly hit me up because yeah i'm i'm in i'm in i'm longing for a ski holiday as well well ben, let's do it we can we can just we'll make a podcast about skiing forget the farming this has been fun <laughs> but let's just uh, let's get skiing oh yeah seriously yeah travel anywhere i don't care where ski resort somewhere next one um if you could have any job in the world that wasn't farming and isn't running your business as well uh, what would it be and why i honestly don't know I've no, never come on. I know. I'll, I'll give you an answer. I'll, I'll think, but <laughs> well, actually, no. I've got one. It's not okay. a realistic job. It's not a realistic job. It's me. It's me in my dream world, you know, here with my trophy. Um, but I, I love motorsport and I love driving and racing. So uh, yeah, I think being a Formula One driver would be pretty. You'd cool, be an right? F one driver, okay? Yeah. I mean, I, I like that's that. a very childish. I know that's a very childish answer, but it's the truth. I mean, that would be that would be the life. Go, you know, go. Uh, Formula One driving, do a bit of farming in your spare time, and go skiing. That's 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 what we got to work towards. There's my farm future plan. What's my there future we are. plan? Yeah, there we are. It. Perfect. Yeah. F1 farming and skiing. Perfect. Yeah. 
Um, and maybe maybe this relates to it. Uh, your superpower, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, I'm a, if I could teleport, I'd like, I'm, I'm really, really, I like to be efficient. I like to get a lot of stuff yeah. done. Imagine if you could just teleport everywhere. That'd be amazing. Just, just, just boom, and you're where you need to be. And I then agree. that would solve my problem because I could go skiing right now because I could teleport there and get back and feed the cows. All done. I think that needs to go in the plan as well, Ben. Yeah, think, I'll yeah, work on that. In, yeah, work on that as well. You've got a lot to do. Uh, yeah. The final questions, then, uh, Cooper, your message for the public, any message, what would it be? Yeah, I think we, we covered it. Um, we've spoken, about, well, maybe I've spoken about it too much. Engage with farming. Um, if you can, get out there, get in the, get in, the uh, in the countryside, go and understand, you know, what's going on. Um, I'd be impressed if most people of the general public can look over a hedge and tell me what crop's growing in it. Uh, so, you know, just, just, just engage, just, uh, you know, go and learn something simple as that really. Yeah. Great. And, uh, I know it's a way off, but yeah, open farm Sunday is coming guys. Check out yeah, openfarmsunday.org and you'll have a long list of farms local to you, um, where you can go and visit. Uh, and then your message to farmers. Yeah, I think, um, the key message to farmers at the moment is, we're in winter and everything's a bit dark and you're working hard, you're getting cold and wet. Um, but sunny days are coming again. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually, you know, Ben, I don't mind telling you, I suffer with my mental health like everyone else does. Um, especially when you're in farming, uh, I think mental health, has a, I mean, we haven't touched on it, but it's a key thing. The most quick message for farmers is just try and be positive because there are so many positives in farming. Um, yeah, that's a really important one. And finally, your recommendation for a blog, podcast, or social media account to follow, which can be farming, but it doesn't need to be farming. Uh, well, I'd personally say this one, but hopefully the people listening to this oh, already know that. I hope um, so. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But uh, to be honest, um, oh, that's a really hard one, actually. My recommendation for, I suppose, for social media is social media is so personal. Um, it, and what I mean by that is you say, well, why is it personal? Because actually you, you know, what you follow or what you watch is what you're interested in, right? So the way I use social media is really to, you know, see what my friends are doing. Uh, wish I was skiing, as I said earlier about Folly Dish. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd say just if you want to, you know, engage with a blog, podcast or social media accounts, whatever it is, think about the interests you really have and go with that. I mean, um i i do listen to some farming podcasts but when i'm when i'm out and about when i'm on the farm or when i'm at home i listen to a lot of formula one podcasts uh so you know um f1 beyond the grid um by tom clarkson i think that's a great podcast he's a good presenter you and him actually sound reasonably similar as well you've got a nice sort of calm oh, voice I'll take that as a compliment um, thank you you should you should you should and yeah that's a great that's a great podcast brilliant i think it's a great answer thanks for that ben um that's it we'll leave it there thank you for doing this um yeah we covered a huge amount of ground there but no that was that was great thank you so much for coming on meet the farmers no had a great time thank you so much oh good uh yeah that is it for today a huge thank you to my guest ben cooper for coming on the show thank you very much for listening as always um our primary podcast sponsor uh this week was howden rural insurance uh, thanks to them for supporting the show um any extra information is in the show notes um next time we'll be heading to wales to meet hugh folks um don't forget to check out our sister show rural business focus where you can find uh, you can find that wherever you listen to this show um i'll be back with you on meet the farmers next week but for now i'm ben eagle this has been meet the farmers thank you very much for listening and i hope you'll have a great week